Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Local Japan Podcast. This is Jared, and、uh, August. August has been a very busy month for me. Lots of exciting news to share. The first one is that I am now a resident of Japan. So that was a long time coming, but the paperwork came in, did all that crazy stuff, and I、uh, got it. So I am now. A resident got the residence card as a person of Japanese ancestry. And once I stay here for three to five years,、um, it's kind of a case by case basis, but around three to five years, then I will be able to transition that residency into permanent residency, which is freaking awesome. So I have total security here. In, in Japan, which has led me to take a lot of steps forward in terms of the Akia company work. I had my first trial experience on Friday. That was very exciting. I've been working with a friend of mine here, and her friend, who is a retired professor, and he and I together did this udon making workshop. For tourists, and it was a big success, and so we'll be able to start offering that. So, if you're in Japan, come by and learn how to make udon <laughs> here in Kobe.、Um, I can put the link in the show notes. So, yeah, we're starting that up and starting a bunch of other different experiences for people to experience the local culture off the beaten path of your typical touristic Kyoto or Tokyo. So, if you want to meet local people and And、uh, really dive into what it is to live、uh, everyday life and to get in touch with、uh, local culture. I'm trying to build programs that offer this. I have a, much more information to provide in the months to come, but、uh, things have really picked up. So I'm quite, quite happy there. So, also because of this work, I have had a small hiatus as when it comes to interviews. This episode, which will represent the episode for August. Uh, I'm going to read a story that I wrote back in 2019.、Uh, and then I have some interviews lined up for the coming months, which are exciting. I wrote this story back in 2019 when I was still an English teacher in Kyoto. And my, my really good friend Ian and I, he's an aspiring writer. And together we started this、uh, blog together. Of storytelling in Japan and storytelling about mythology called Mythographers, which is on WordPress. And、uh, one of the stories that I published on that blog was this story about why all public schools look the same. I was, when I was living in Kyoto, I was quite upset with my daily life in the school buildings. Because that's where I worked every day. And there were such oppressive structures, so dead and cold and ugly. And、uh, I, I was just wondering why they all looked the same. No matter where I went, whether it was my elementary schools or my middle schools or the high school I taught at, or if it was like the schools of my colleagues, they all looked the same. Like, why do they all have this same oppressive cookie cutter structure? So, I really wanted to get to the bottom of it, so I did some research. And this story is 
part of my answer to the question. And uh, I think sometimes stories are better at answering the questions than a long-form podcast or some kind of history book. Um, stories, they have uh, this intangible element where they can they can communicate a message non-verbally, right? You kind of get the spirit of the story. So um, this is a little experiment for this month. Um, I hope you enjoy this reading of this story. It's, I guess it's my, uh, my first audiobook. Let me know what you think in the comments, by email, uh, by Instagram also works. Uh, last housekeeping note is about about Patreon. So I've, I'm no longer using Patreon and the members of Patreon, uh, I have added your emails to the Substack email. So from now on, when I publish an episode, uh, you will be notified through Substack. However, if you wish to unsubscribe, of course, you can easily do that within the email. Just click the unsubscribe button and you'll be you'll be set free from local Japan. Although, of course, if you enjoy the work I'm doing, you can consider supporting through the Substack platform at $5 a month. You know, the whole point of this podcast is for me to to speak with people that um, are in this similar realm of whether it's Japan or architecture or business. And to me, it's just a journey of being curious and constantly learning and interfacing with the world and with other people and, you know, by engaging with like-minded people in the field, whether they're experts or practitioners or enthusiasts, uh, it really it helps to ground me. So I, I really get a lot out of the podcast. I hope that the people who have been on the podcast before get some exposure so that they other people can learn about their great work and I hope that uh, this small community of listeners can grow and can take lessons that they can apply to their own life so if you enjoy what I'm doing if you enjoy the conversations I'm having and if you have suggestions for me please feel free to write in and please consider supporting five dollars a month on Substack all right thank you very much and with that I give you a audiobook reading of this short story called Why All Japanese Public Schools Look the Same by yours truly. click-clack of wooden sandals rings through the bamboo grove as an elder Buddhist monk leads me to the remains of a Meiji-era elementary school. The school building has been transported to this Buddhist temple from its original location three kilometers away. We now use the old lecture hall as a place of meditation, the monk says. He turns to me. Not many people know of this place. I did some research, I reply. I heard that Chikan Elementary is one of the only Meiji-era schools that still stands in Kyoto today. The clay tile roof and the wood craftsmanship come into view. Chikan Elementary School's emblem flourishes the upper ridge of the structure. When I slide my hand across the wooden gateway, I think of the many Meiji-era children who once walked beneath it. As an English teacher, 
who has been working in Kyoto for three years, I see students throughout the city commute to gray, modern buildings and study in concrete classrooms. During the course of my time in Kyoto, I have also visited the 959-year-old Ujigami Shrine, and I have enjoyed the ancient music of Gion Festival. Where, in this land of such deep history, did the schools of Kyoto go? I think to myself. Chikan Elementary was almost destroyed, but the monks had the building transferred here in 1929, says the old man. This temple in Kyoto, known as Shinyodo, is a private entity that managed to purchase and preserve such priceless works of historic architecture. Classic Japanese-tiled lecture halls and wooden entry gates once defined Japan's schools. Nearly all of this workmanship has since disappeared at the hands of a nationwide wave of demolishment during the Showa period. It's beautiful, I say to the monk, as I snap a photo from my camera. So many in our modern world thirst for beauty as they live in the concrete jungles. The Japanese also feel this dearth, but they have also been able to rely on the repositories of ancient culture for the answer. Wandering in the quiet stone pathways, I observe a young monk tediously raking the Zen rock garden. An elderly woman wearing garden boots cleans the fields of moss, picking up one maple leaf at a time. As I have experienced time and again, Japanese cities give me the opportunity to escape from their noise and rush, if only I look close enough. The schools of today, however, have blended in with the hubbub of urban life. They have shed away their clay roof tiles and wooden gateways. In the call by the centralized government of the early 1900s to prepare its people for militarization and factory work, elementary schools, junior high schools, and high schools in every ward of every city of every prefecture in Japan took on uniform shape. Four-story gray cement blocks exposing their off-white piping and random ventilation ducts protruding off the walls shine their fluorescent lighting throughout rows of plastic windows. A single clock raised above the schoolyard ticks away with a watchful eye. To learn more about why these buildings today look the way they do, I take a visit to the Kyoto Municipal Museum of School History. The museum is housed in a modern school building, but its entrance flaunts an antique gateway. Framed by two smooth pillars, this wooden structure is holding on to the way things once were. School designs are made by a government agency, a curator at the museum explains to me. All plans are based on a general model. When did this transition take place, I ask? Japan started building these modern-style schools around the time of World War I, he replies. Government centralization became so prevalent everywhere by 1941 that every elementary school in Japan became public. I immediately thought of the very elementary school that I teach at, which celebrated its centennial birthday in 2018. It was built in 1918, just as the Empire of Japan was stepping onto the world stage. In fact, the government became so desperate by 1943 that they even took bronze statues from the schools and melted them to collect metal for the war effort, the curator adds. The museum displays a rare bronze statue of Masashige Kusunoki, a famous 14th century samurai, charging to battle on his horse. It is one of the few that survived. The tragic melting of statues on behalf of the war machine seems a fitting image to describe the demolition of historic architecture for the sake of economic output. Like in the United States, 
Japanese school clocks ring in 50-minute intervals. Neat rows of chairs face blackboards in the name of practicality, so that students retain in their heads the fact that a squared plus b squared equals c squared, and in 1942, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Passing below the wooden gateway, I exit the museum and make my way back onto the city streets. Returning to my apartment, I decide to head to my roof to catch a view of Kyoto cityscape. As I clutch the roof railing, I gaze forward to the high-rise next door. Through windows, I see office workers penning paper, typing on keyboards, and generating vitamin D from their computer screens. My eyes move up the walls to the roof. There stands a small wooden Shinto shrine. Throughout the year, it bakes in the summer heat, tastes the autumn rain, freezes in the winter chill, and smells the spring breeze. A salaryman has made his way to the roof for a smoke break and some sunlight. He takes one last drag and puts a cigarette out. His necktie swaying in the wind, he claps his hands and gives a bow before the shrine. In the dense cities of our modern world, beauty hangs on quietly in the small things.